0: Thanks, Sean. So, I'm going to get Tanya to sort of pan out a bit, because I'd like you to see the uh, Christmas scene over to the side here, if you can't see it already. Um, And I want you to see it, because I want you to be able to see the characters that are there. Uh, We have the typical characters of Christmas. We have, uh, of course, baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, sheep, sheep. Uh, Normally there would also be angels. If you're lucky, you would even get wise men and maybe even a camel (laughs) as sort of the typical Christmas characters. And then our modern day Christmas scenes that we've sort of created with our culture uh, have included things like, of course, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, um, reindeers, (laughs) uh, presents. Uh, And and a whole Charles Dickens era and the writing of Christmas Carol has also created uh, parts of the Christmas scene that would include uh, uh, Victorian-era English city scenes with children caroling under gas lanterns and things like that. And you would have uh, lots of holly and Christmas trees and things like that. So we've got lots of uh, symbols and images that we associate with Christmas, but the the interesting thing to me is that John he actually occupies a big chunk of, a chunk of the Christmas story and he doesn't get any recognition really during Christmas time especially not in terms of ornaments. I actually went online yesterday to see if I could find a John the Baptist Christmas tree ornament and I did find one. There is one. And uh, if anyone out there listening uh, has a John the Baptist Christmas ornament of any kind, I'd love to know. So let me know if you do, because they're rare. And uh, maybe for next year, that's something more of us can begin to add to our sort of Christmas decorations. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Chapter 1 um, of Luke's Gospel is occupied by miraculous pregnancies, right? Two miraculous pregnancies. First, of course, Mary uh, impregnated with Jesus, uh, (laughs) and the virgin birth is to follow. But then there's also Elizabeth, uh, the aunt of Mary, and and her birth of John. And she was barren. She could not give children, but the Lord blessed her with a child. So you have these two miraculous pregnancies. And then in chapter 2 of Luke, so you go from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you have the birth of Jesus, And then, if you step into chapter three of Luke, you have this John. You have John appear on the scene again, and you have John launching the way for Jesus uh, in his ministry. So I'm just going to read for you this uh, little section out of uh, Luke chapter three, starting in verse three. It says there in the so this is this is like uh, 30 years after the birth, right? So we've jumped 30 years, and here's where Luke picks up. From chapter two to chapter three. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate uh, being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Tranconitus, and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene. During the reign of the high priest Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zachariah, in the wilderness. And he went into the region all around Galilee and the Jordan proclaiming um, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be laid low. The crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh, all people, all mankind shall see the salvation of the Lord. So, from that, let me talk a little bit about John the Baptist and his ministry. Um, John was a prophet. (laughs) And he was a prophet in sort of the style of the old-time prophets The Old Testament prophets. And by that I mean, and if you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you you come to realize pretty quickly that they're all these pretty radical guys. And John was a pretty radical guy. He was almost this radical, wild eyed kind of guy. And in many ways, it's almost understandable that he wouldn't make it, you know, as one of the modern day Christmas characters. You see, John doesn't really fit in with the whole celebrative, cozy, chestnuts roasting on the fire, yuletide carols, you know, sort of scene that has become today's Christmas. John is actually kind of like the guy who would possibly wreck (laughs) that part of Christmas, that comfortable, cozy sort of part of Christmas, and and actually make people feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) That's what John would do. John was a bit of a social oddball. He was a loner. He was what we would call a hermit type. Uh, certainly not the party type, right? His favorite food, we are told, is, is locusts and wild honey. Um, probably not your typical Christmas appetizers, right? And, and he wore uh, clothing, or, which seems more like sort of over overs made out of camel's hair. And I didn't even know, know Camel's hair was even long enough to make clothing out of it, but I can only imagine it was intensely itchy. And you wear that to a party, and you're probably going to make everybody around you feel itchy just looking at it, you know? And it's not really party wear either. And yet, even though John hasn't made it into today's Christmas scene, there, there he is, occupying a significant chunk of the original Christmas story. So I want to give him his due today, and I've got to maybe warn you just a little bit that John does make people feel uncomfortable. John made me feel a little bit uncomfortable as I worked through this sermon, and there just might be a little bit of of what is proclaimed here that might make all of us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. So fair warning there, but this is the word of God. Um, So John's role was to prepare the way for the Lord, to make paths straight, right? To make these crooked paths straight, so that so that we and all of mankind will be able to recognize. We will be able to see the coming of the Lord's salvation in Jesus, the Messiah. That's his job, to make it so that we can pick up on that. Really? That's really what it was all about. What John does is he tells us how to prepare for the coming of the Lord. In a sense, he tells us how to prepare for Christmas. if you think about it like that. Or I suppose how to prepare us for what the Lord will do for us. That's his job, to get us ready for that, to to get us ready for what the Lord will do among us, what the Lord will even do to us when he comes. right? And and, and all of that is sort of wrapped up in this imagery of of the Lord coming to, to make straight our crooked paths. He will come and remove the rough spots in our way. He will come and he will lower the mountains, the mountainous obstacles that so impede us in our spiritual progress. He will come and he will, he will lift the deep shadowy valleys that, that, that are perhaps fearful to us in our lives, that haunt us. And, and John's job is to prepare us for all of this, for, for the work of all of this that God is going to do through the Messiah, to get us ready, <laughs> for these things, to get us ready for those paths to be straightened, right? To smooth out those rough spots, to get us ready to remove those mountains, to bring them down, to get ready to face those valleys and bring them level. John's job is to get us started in that, right? That's really what it is. His job is to get us thinking about those things, to get our attention turned towards all that stuff that Jesus will also come and help heal us finally from. And God uses this seemingly unlikely messenger, this cousin of Jesus, to deliver this message out of the wilderness, of all places, right? And of all the Unlikely and uncomfortable and uncouth sort of manner in which this message is going to be delivered. It's out of the wilderness through this guy, this wild eyed guy, John. And, you know, it occurs to me that it's probably not even in many ways so much the message of John the Baptist that could possibly rub people the wrong way, but maybe it's even more the messenger and the way that he was that might had the capacity to rub people the wrong way. John seems to be this, you know, bit of an over-the-top kind of bombastic, intense, shouter-type preacher, right? That that just, he just might be the kind of guy you see downtown wearing a sandwich board on him that says turn or burn and yells at cars as they drive by. That's sort of the kind of guy he was. And yet, you know, Here's the thing that strikes me, and yet it was John who was chosen to deliver this message, this word of God, and it actually seems to me that Luke is being very intentionally insistent about recognizing that in chapter 3 of Luke, because Luke starts out, you know, just look at the way he starts that section. He says, in the, in, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate, was governor of Judea, when Herod was ruler of Galilee, when his brother Philip, and on and on he goes, and he mentions all these people. And, and, and he just passes them all by and says, the word of the Lord came to John, right? It's almost as though he's making an intentional contrast here. Luke actually lists the five most influential leaders known to the world, at least the Palestinian world of that day. It's like this who's who of politics in Palestine during that time. But when God sent his word to the world to prepare the way for his coming, for his personal direct interaction into history and into the affairs of man, the word did not go to the halls of power and influence of the world. The word went to John, this wild man in the wilderness. Now, we might have preferred it to go to someone else in our own you know, human way of thinking about how things would best work, we might have preferred a different messenger. In fact, maybe we would have thought, maybe some people would have thought, you know, it would have been really good if, if, if it actually went to Caesar Tiberius. I mean, he was the guy in the world who could pull the most strings at that time, right? He's the guy in the world who could make things happen on a massive scale more than anybody else. He's the kind of guy who could mobilize people, even mobilize armies, change laws, and all kinds of things. Wouldn't it be great? And wouldn't it have been a strategic if God touched him, changed him, and had the word come to him? But God's ways are so different than our ways. And in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God did not go to Tiberius Caesar, the ruler of the political world of that day, nor to any other influential world leaders. It seems, it seems that emperors and world leaders and politicians are just too absorbed in controlling and running the world, defending their boundaries, and their country's interests, their own interests, collecting taxes, securing votes, and making heard their own words. To be, you know, they're too absorbed in all of that to pick up on the very often subtle words of God to ring true to them. Those who believe they are in charge of the world are usually just too busy to hear the word of God on behalf of the world? Or are they too busy being like many gods themselves to bother to listen to the true word of the true God? No, in John's day, and I think today as well, there was and there is a deep spiritual void and pain in the world that just cannot be filled or healed politically. Politicians are not our saviors. Politics and political ideology, it's not our gospel. Nor does it point the way to the gospel. Luke says the word of the Lord. It did not go to the politicians of the, of the time. It just didn't. It went to John. <laughs> it went to John, a wild-eyed man in the wilderness. And what Luke then goes on to say, frankly is even more shocking to me. <laughs> right? After listing these political strongmen, men, he, he then says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And it's like that causes me to pause significantly. The word of the Lord, you see, it did not go to the priests of that day. It didn't go to the temple, which was the church of that day. It went to John, this wild man, in the wilderness. Now, Now, I mean, wait a minute. People like Ananias or Annas and Caiaphas, don't they handle the holy things in their world? Don't they think the holy thoughts on behalf of people? Don't they perform the holy rituals? And yet this critically important word of God to prepare the way for the very coming of the Lord, it didn't go to them. It didn't go to them. Even Annas and Caiaphas if, even, if, even if they were becoming just too political in their role as high priests, and they were, surely there must have been some priests who were righteous and who were true to God's calling. Wasn't there? And, and why didn't this word go to them? You know, it's, it's one thing for me to take a poke at politicians and the rulers of the world. But these religious guys, these professional temple Church people, well, I have a job like that. You know, that's kind of like what my job is. And that strikes a little close to home. I'm one of them in many ways. And this troubles me. Like the priests in the Bible, people today expect people like me to proclaim the Word of the God, to have the Word of God, to receive the Word of God. To receive that word and to speak that word and to prepare the way for the Lord so that we can benefit and be comforted by his drawing near to us. That's my job, right? That's my don't mess with it. That's my job. Especially you wild-eyed guys in the wilderness, don't mess with it. That's me, that's mine. But again, God doesn't really work like that. God doesn't adhere to those kinds of rules. Especially, by the way, when we make professions out of those things. Professions out of things like hearing and receiving the word of God and then become possessive about them. Then it definitely doesn't work like that. When it becomes my job. So hands off. Especially loud, wild guys in the wilderness. Especially guys with sandwich boards down at the street corner, right? And I can tell you Unfortunately, I can tell you only too well how possible it is for a minister of God to go through the motions and to act and to look religious, to be able to find the right passage in the right book of Scripture at the right time, to utter the right prayer for the right occasion, to speak some appropriate words at the appropriate time. But, but to have it all come from here and not so much from here. I know that can happen because I've done it. And then it becomes primarily the word of Roger and not so much the word of God. And in doing that, it misses the true heart and the true spirit of the word of God and how God desires to work in us, and among us. And that, that, you guys, that is a problem because we need the Word from God. We need the Word from God and from God alone, and we need it desperately. You know, this is, frankly, the one Christmas gift that cannot be purchased online, even at Amazon. It cannot be attained by being good or nice all year long. This, this word of God, this very word from God to you, to you personally, this word that calls you by name, right, and claims you and speaks into your life and convicts you and forgives you and redeems you and saves you, heals you, and loves you. That's what we need for Christmas. That. That word. That truth. And we need it from God. It is so true. <laughs> Think about these words of Jesus and how true it is that we do not live by bread alone, but by what? every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's life in that. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, God did not speak to politicians. And during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God did not speak to religious leaders in their temples. No, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. (laughs) And people knew it. This is amazing, too, that people just knew that this was authentic, and they responded to it. That is interesting to me as well, that how, how to what degree the average person just recognized this to be the true word of God. When John spoke those words, people recognized the power that John was speaking. They were not John's words. They knew it. I mean, they knew John. They knew this guy. They knew what a loner he was. They knew what an out there kind of person he was. And it's almost like maybe that's why God chose him. You know, because when he speaks and these words of God come out, they go, that's not John. Wow, that is way beyond John. That's incredible. That's God. That could only be God. And when John spoke in the wilderness, it was crazy. Farmers left their plows in the fields to come and hear. Merchants left their shops to come and hear. Everybody came to hear this strange prophet crying out. He didn't just speak. He was crying out that God was at hand and that they needed to prepare for his coming. That it was time, you guys, it's time for humility and repentance It was time to straighten and level crooked and warped ways. And the people knew it. They just knew it. That God was calling them by his very word. And that God was coming near to help them do these things by his very spirit. And that the things that they couldn't straighten out or fix or level, that God would come and help them to do it and do it for them. And when people know, and when people believe, and when people sense and feel that God is near, and when people hear God's very words and know that they're his words, right? And, 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 and when those very words get inside of them and penetrate them beyond their eardrums, beyond their minds and into their very souls, dividing, what does scripture say? Dividing soul and spirit within them. Man, when people get to that point of understanding and hearing God's word and God speak to them personally, they cannot go on living in a normal, disinterested, half-hearted manner anymore, right? When you know that God is coming near to you and His Word is penetrating deep into you, it sets things to right inside of you. It begins to move roadblocks to your heart. <laughs> it does. And when you know and can hear that God has something to say to you, something about Himself to you personally, something about yourself something about the life that he has created for you to live, the purpose that he has created for you to fulfill. And when you hear that and know that, you just cannot pretend any longer that you are the final authority on anything in life anymore. When God enters the scene of our lives, things change. That's my point, I guess. Things just change. Realities and whole foundations shift critically shift. And God is coming. Well, that's the message for today, for this morning. God is coming. He's always coming, in the process of coming. He is speaking. He's always speaking. Are we listening? Is really the question. He's speaking. Are we pausing enough to listen? He, he desires to draw near. And as he does draw near. As we listen and as we hear and as he draws near, the valley of shadow will be lifted. And the mountains of pride will be leveled. God is coming and he is untangling the crooked ways. And he will smooth out those rough edges in our lives. So prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. And you know how to do that? <laughs> it's, it's, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. How do you prepare the way for the Lord? Here's the biggest thing that you need to do is just let the Lord prepare you. That's how you prepare for the coming of the Lord is just let him prepare you. Surrender to him and just let him prepare you. The word of the Lord came to John. And through him it comes to us as well. It does not come to the halls of power or the temples of institutional religion. It does not come, it seems, to bored Christians who play safe with their religion and keep it nice and neat and packaged and controlled, ready to spray an extinguisher on anything that's uncomfortable or unexpected. He comes to the wilderness. That's where he comes. The word of God comes to the wilderness where dry winds howl and where souls are parched and where hurts are just rubbed raw. It went to the wilderness places back then and I think it goes to the wilderness places of our lives right now. That's where the word of God tends to come to our wilderness Places. Because, you see, that's where we tend to be willing to listen. <laughs> in our wilderness places. In our hurt and broken places. Where we know we don't got it in control. Where we're in trouble. Where we're struggling. That's where we need him. That's where we tend to hear him. That's where his word gets through to us. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I hear about and see people... Who, through difficulty and pain and upheaval in life, in the midst of those wilderness experiences, how many times it is then that they hear God. And often for the very first time, never having heard Him or believed in Him before, but when they hit this bottom in life, they suddenly recognize His voice and they feel Him drawn near. C.S. Lewis says that, Pain is God's megaphone to get our attention, and it is, and it works. That's why he comes to the wilderness places in our lives, because it's where we're willing to listen, to get our attention, to finally listen and recognize our need. God spoke and he speaks where he is still needed and where people recognize and are willing to admit their desperate need of him. And he speaks through people who dare to listen to him, who dare to experience the wilderness, who dare to walk alongside of people in their wilderness. He speaks through people who dare to speak the whole truth of his word without compromise and without fear. And as we live out this life, we can. We can hear his word if our hearts are hungry to hear it. (laughs) But I think that's a condition. If our hearts are hungry to hear it, we can hear his promises to give us life and to heal our wounds and to straighten our paths. If with some desperation we desire it and want to hear it and are willing to expose ourselves to it, or We can become too busy. Or we can have the kind of faith or religion that we control. That we keep it in control. Or we can just drown it out with life. With the noises and the sounds and the busyness of life ourselves. Listening to our own voice. And our own desires. And that will not allow us to draw near to God. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, this year is coming to an end. This is my last time speaking to you this year. Um, Resolutions are customary at the beginning of a new year. I would like to propose some resolutions for us. Um, Resolve. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to challenge you. And myself as well. Resolve to make an effort. An honest-to-God effort. You know, as this church enters into a critical time in its history, I'm asking this church, all of us, myself as well, resolve to make an effort. For many of us, it'll just be a renewed effort. For some of us, it's even just carry on the effort you're already in because you're already there. And for some of us, it might be, you know, I've never really stepped into this very much. I need to make a, a first-time effort here. Make an effort to hear the word of God. (laughs) I'm going to give you a few things that are going to help you do that. This is how we give ourselves to God. The Bible. Prayer. And listen. That's the first thing. Read your Bible. Be in the scriptures. Read them. Soak yourself in them. Soak your own life in them. But you need to pray while you do that too. The scripture and prayer, they have to go together. They have to. They absolutely have to. It's not scripture, oh, and then maybe I'll pray too. It's, it's got to be prayer and scripture, scripture and prayer, prayer and scripture, scripture and prayer. They've got to mesh together. Because that's how that word penetrates us, It's through the prayer as well. I, I had a friend who read the Bible for quite some time before he was a Christian and never understood a thing of it. And he finally went back to the guy who told him to read the Bible and he says, I, it just does, doesn't mean anything to me. And the guy said, well, did you pray before you read it? He goes, no. He goes, well, you got to do that. He goes, you go home and try once more. Pray and then read it. He did, and it's like the lights went on profoundly for him. He was reading something he just had never read before, even though he just read it. It just it changed everything. Prayer is intended to be digested with Scripture <laughs> and Scripture with prayer, the two together. And then listen. That's the other thing. you got to listen too. If God's going to speak to you, you got to be listening. Pause to listen. Expect to hear. Include that as well. And then one other thing I'm going to ask you to do is resolve. Resolve to humbly practice confession and repentance. (laughs) That's critical. That causes God to draw near too. That's preparing the way. Confession and repentance in its simplest terms Here is what that is. Confession and repentance is simply to say sorry when we are wrong to God and to work with God to leave behind that thing that we're sorry for. (laughs) It's that simple. It's that simple. Say we're sorry when we're wrong and where we're wrong and work with God to leave behind those behaviors that we are sorry for. That's it. And life will be better. And God will draw near. Confession and repentance in simple humility is what opens up the way for Jesus to come and straighten our crooked ways and smooth and soothe our rough and raw painful spots and to move the mountains that are crushing us and to give us peace and hope in the midst of a dark and fearful shadow-filled world of valleys and uncertainty and anxiety. It all starts, really, with this humble confession and repentance. Resolve, I'm asking you to consider. Resolve to practice those things at a deeper level in this coming year. And again, don't ever get stuck. Don't ever get stuck in the trap of thinking, well, if I can just sort of get my life cleaned up more, then I can step into those things. (laughs) Don't do that. Just step into them. That's how your life gets cleaned up, right? Just come as you are. Step into those things and walk through it with God. Bless you. Um, Join us this Christmas Eve for the service. And um, let me pray. Lord, You have good things for us. You have great things for us. You desire to come near to us as a body in this church. And God, as you draw near, it is going to make an impact on the world around us. I pray for that. I ask for that. That we would do the things, that we would go through the humility, that we would go through the effort to draw near to you. And that as you just sweep into us, right into us, God, that we would just become those empowered witnesses, that your spirit would fill us, that we might be those empowered witnesses to your goodness, your grace, and your love in this community, and that we would see many lives truly touched and changed. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen. God bless you.